millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to the World Soccer Talk podcast, your weekly dose of talking about watching soccer on TV, online and apps. Coming up on episode 26 of the World Soccer Talk podcast, we discuss MLS's blueprint to improve TV ratings in the USA, big news from Bundesliga, uh, news about Fox's first hire for the Confederations Cup coverage, as well as sad news from BN Sports. Uh, plus qu- questions and comments from you, the listeners. I'm joined today by Kartik Krishnaya. My name is Christopher Harris, a.k.a. The Gaffer. Kartik, um, uh, unfortunately, US Open Cup, uh, your team that uh, you work for, the Boca Raton FC, lost last night. But uh, what was it like um, kind of being behind the scenes again in terms of uh, working closely with the, with the club? Yeah, it was uh, it was quite a game. It was actually a very entertaining game, end-to-end second half. We got beat on a counterattack late, uh, a goal by Nacho, a legend of local soccer uh, for Miami United, a guy who's played for just about every club locally, going back to his days as, an, uh, as a Copa Latina star in the early 2000s. He must be close to pushing 40 now. Uh, he, he he was able to uh, score a nice goal on the counterattack uh, in, where we gave the ball away in midfield and we had pushed everyone forward with the score 1-1 in the 87th minute. Um it was a it was a neat experience because uh, last year I obviously was working with the Fort Lauderdale Strikers who made an open cup run, deep open cup run, one at DC United uh, or one on penalty kicks at DC United, didn't actually win that game, one at Orlando City of MLS, and then uh, fell to the Chicago Fire um, in the uh, in the quarterfinal round. But it was neat to be behind the scenes for a semi pro team where open cup means more than it does for those professional teams. And that, that was really neat, and the guys were gutted, and we, we have to turn around, as you know, Chris, because I believe you might be at the game, yep. have to turn around and play a game 48 hours later in NPSL, which um, I just want to point this out to people who think that the U.S. Open Cup has to be the centerpiece of everything that goes on in American soccer. And romantically, I believe that, but we heavily rotated our squad yesterday. I mean, some of our better players did not play. Um because of an NPSL game 48 hours later, basically split the squad in half. And, and, and a couple of guys are going to play in both games. But, for example, our co-captain Bruno Melitz, uh, arguably our best player, did not play last night. And, take, um, this is like the FA Cup. This is like the Premier League FA Cup. Okay, like, yeah. Which players and, should I play and in And this? I have to say, Miami United, I, I obviously follow them. They're a local team. They're in the same conference as we, we are. They did the same thing. And I don't know what they're going to do for Jacksonville next week when the Armada come. And I don't know what the Armada are going to do because they have to – get on a plane after they play uh, Miami United 
and go to San Francisco to play an NASL game on Friday. So they've got uh, 48 hours between games on opposite coasts. So, uh, again, there's a lot of romanticism around the U.S. Open Cup. We see it every year on Twitter, don't we, Chris, when mm-hmm. this competition starts. But the practical realities um, have set in. Now, this is a little bit different than what I experienced with the Strikers because the Strikers had made the decision to just kind of toss the NASL and go for it in the Open Cup last season. Um, and in previous seasons, the Strikers were eliminated so quickly in Open Cup that it didn't really matter. But the Strikers did rotate their squad at Open Cup previously to last year. Uh, last season, what ended up happening is the Strikers played their first team in Open Cup and played a rotated squad in NASL. But at Boca, as a semi-pro club, we had to make decisions about our resources. And we have a deeper squad than most semi-pro clubs do. So we were able to try and compete on two fronts, but uh, ultimately weren't able to. We weren't able to field our first, entire first team in the Open Cup. So... Um, Chris, it's not a whole lot different than the FA Cup, honestly, in that <laughs> yeah. regard. Yeah, 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 definitely. So, so I'm going to take you away from that context for, for probably the next hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes or so, uh, to talk about uh, television coverage of, of soccer as well as online coverage too. And uh, the first question for you, Kartik, is uh, what have you you've been watching this week? I, I know you've been really busy with Boca Raton FC, so probably um, less viewing than normal, but uh, what stood out for you? Yeah, less feeling than normal. I, I uh, was able to watch uh, the Spurs game, though, on Friday, which was um, significantly... Uh, look, I'm happy for Slavin Village. I'm happy for West Ham. I know what that uh, derby means to them, although I'm, I'm a person who had advocated going back six or seven years on this show, uh, Spurs moving into that particular stadium, thinking that they were the better tenant mm-hmm. because of the size of their fan base, because of their plans to um, make it into a football ground, not a sports arena, or, or keep it as a sports arena as West Ham have. So uh, I was more compelled by sports, Spurs case. And that whole situation created a derby aspect now that um, has made this rivalry, which is always a big rivalry, a bigger London derby into an even bigger derby. And uh, West Ham were able to take advantage of that emotion and, and essentially end the title race, win the title race for their great, uh, their great allies and friends, Chelsea, right? Right, exactly. <laughs> you know, there's no, there's no uh, that's the great irony. I mean, yeah, I, I would love to chide some West Ham fans, uh, and I know a few, about you handed Chelsea of all clubs the title with your <laughs> decision to beat Spurs. But, uh, yeah, it was a good, good, good game. Uh, John Champion and Danny Hagan bought them two of the best of the business on the call. What was interesting, so, though, Kartik, in this one, and John Champion's done this a few times, and I actually enjoy it, but John Champion always does a good job of telling us what's happening off camera. And um, I'm not sure if he was the one that picked it up uh, a month ago. You mentioned it, one of the games at West Ham where there was some crowd trouble. But he did it in this game, and he was – was kind of just bringing it, bringing it to attention of other viewers. Um, I guess well, there was a couple of different things going on. One was that uh, all the West Ham fans in a certain section were refusing to sit down. I mean, this is a, this is a big match. Uh, Premier League rules are that that all fans must be seated, and we've seen that at White Hart Lane. I mean, almost every single fan in the whole entire stadium is standing. So he did that. Um, but he does a good, great job of giving us a, a, an idea of the atmosphere in the stands as well as on the pitch. And I enjoy that. I, I, I like that because that's something that uh, we don't get from the majority of uh, other commentators. Yeah, I'm trying to remember. I think it was Peter Drury calling the game, uh, the West Ham game against, jeez, I can't remember uh, who it was. It might have been Chelsea uh, where there was crowd. 
of trouble. Not the Chelsea game in the League Cup. We definitely know there was trouble in that game. Did they play Chelsea more recently at uh, at the at the London Stadium? I think they did, and yeah. uh, it might have been that game. These London derbies. Oh, look, there's a those are who are newer to the sport. There's a history of uh, hooliganism, particularly between West Ham and Chelsea fans, and then there are some other. Uh, uh, permutations that Arsenal versus Spurs, Arsenal versus West Ham, etc. The big intersectional one was Chelsea versus Leeds. Uh, Whenever these clubs have played in the 70s and 80s, there was trouble. The trouble began to subside in the 90s. But now the opening of London Stadium, and and obviously West Ham, Millwall, right? But they're never in the same division, it seems. Um, Mm -hmm. There is... consistent crowd trouble since the opening of this London stadium, since West Ham relocated. The policing and the security was very good at the bowling ground. It was closer to public transportation. So the walk for opposing fans or even for for home fans, but to the ground was was substantially reduced and there was uh, significant policing on those routes. Uh, Now it it seems like they haven't figured it out. They haven't gotten it right. And um, I, I think all of the All of the things we've seen around Olympic Stadium this year beg a lot of questions that need to be discussed in the summer. It's not uh, it's not for this podcast today. It's not for uh, Premier League pundits at this point. But in two or in three weeks when the season's over, we need to look at how it affected West Ham's play, how the policing was handled. Uh, Is that stadium too big for a a club like West Ham? Is that stadium? Is it unwise? for West Ham to be forced to, 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 as a concession to the people and honoring the London Olympics to keep ticket prices so low to where, um, unfortunately, they're, they're not able to price out some elements they don't want in that stadium, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So one thing, uh, we'll get to that eventually. One thing about the stadium, though, too, too, from the TV viewing perspective, is that I don't enjoy it. So I don't know if it's just because the pitch is so narrow or the track around it or the camera angle of, of the, the television camera. But the, the pitch looks so narrow. It, and what happens, and actually this happened in the Swansea game too when they played West Ham, is just that West Ham crowds the box, has about seven or eight uh, players in the box, and it's really difficult for teams to, to go through the middle to get through West Ham. There isn't a lot of space on the sides. So as Spurs saw, saw, I mean, they had a bad game that that day anyway, but they weren't able to penetrate uh, the the West Ham defence. They couldn't go down the wings that much and through the middle was blocked. And from the TV viewing perspective, um, while the stadium looks beautiful from the outside, um, from inside it looks okay. but I I just don't like watching the games when West Ham are playing at home, unfortunately. Um, Maybe it's different in the stadium, but we've heard bad reviews about the stadium too. But yeah, it's just, uh, I don't know, it's just uh, it, a little bit like Wembley to a certain extent. Wembley's not as bad. Um, the pitch does look narrow, and I think that's definitely from the camera angle of where, where the TV is placed uh, in the stadium. But uh, but this stadium was meant for the Olympics. Uh, I mean, it wasn't meant for soccer. They had to I mean, redevelop it and adapt it for soccer. Part of that goes back to the problem with the uh, supporters and trying to uh, segregate them. Um, that's something you don't get in Olympic stadiums. Olympic stadiums, it's open for everyone. You mean with tickets, in you come. There's no segregation. So there's some issues with the way the stadium was built that don't transfer nicely over to soccer. And now we're seeing the, uh, the consequences of that. But um, but congratulations uh, to West Ham for staying up and, and Spurs for giving it a great race. Uh, it's not still not officially over, but by the time you listen to this podcast, it may well and truly be over. 
Yeah, um, I, I think another aspect of um, the coverage of this game was we saw how uh, NBC could really analyze um, an entire weekend of action and set up an entire weekend of action with a Friday night telecast. And, and again, we'll see that this weekend with the match uh, between Chelsea and uh, and West Brom right. on a Friday. Yeah, uh, West Brom. Right? Oh, West, 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 West Brom, right, right, right. 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 Yeah, so uh, that, that's something that's unique. Uh, and they obviously there was a Chelsea-Liverpool game uh, earlier in the season on the Friday, and there were one or two others. But uh, I like how Fox has been able to set up the weekend in the Bundesliga with that Friday night game, uh, football telecast and Ian Joy or Kate Abdo talking about how that game impacts what's going to happen on Saturday and Sunday and potentially, oh, Leipzig, if they're playing on a Friday, they can cut the deficit to seven points or whatever. Bayern, they can go 13 up and really put Leipzig and Dortmund, who were chasing them at the time. Obviously, that title race is long over now. But uh, under the cosh, uh, that is a um, – and there's been complaints from people about NBC's lack of – midweek programming, right? And I don't know what more they can do because they have so many have so many original Premier League programmings from programming, but that they they um, their pre-weekend programming consists of the Premier League preview show done by Premier League Productions, which is not really terribly insightful in, for, in, in, in terms of pundit uh, punditry and pundits analysis. Mm-hmm. So we saw on this uh, Spurs West Ham broadcast how Rebecca Lowe and Cal Martino and Robbie Musto were able to set up Chelsea at the weekend and the race for fourth and everything on a Friday evening. And it was a perfect segue into what we watched next, which was Crystal Palace and Manchester City, as well as the other Saturday games, which uh, which were which were teed up by um, by the Friday night broadcast. Now, the other question, though, is as the Premier League uh, deepens their commitment to Friday nights, the way the Bundesliga and Liga have does NBC have this issue of having to refresh the talent because you're having to do another night and on weekends like this where you also had a Monday night and then you had a Wednesday midweek game and now you're going to have another Friday game and then next week we know there are a bunch of midweek games before we get to Super Super Sunday uh, do they need to rotate more their talent do they need to hire one or two more pundits now um, it is the end of the season. And uh, Robbie Musto has taken a vacation. Obviously, Kyle Martino was on maternity leave earlier in the season. So maybe this season they're a little more refreshed. But um, in future years, if you have Friday night broadcasts in October and November, as you're heading towards the holiday period where there are what, ten, nine, nine days of games and 10 game, days, whatever the calendar allows for in that particular year, you have to wonder about the, the rotation and maybe they need another studio analyst or two. Um, but one of the things I'm going to get to in a few minutes is the pundits at the lane. And you see in that broadcast, kind of that, that NBC sports download, how good um, the chemistry is between the team. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. And if you bring more pundits in, you kind of disrupt that. So let's uh, uh, I watched a lot of NWSL this weekend, uh, the Boston, North Carolina game. Uh, I thought the camera work was really poor and um, it was that stadium. Nickerson stadium is notoriously tough for shooting. So maybe we give them a bit of a pass on that. The announcers I wasn't in, uh, weren't in love with uh, Carolina won the game. Uh, they're unbeaten uh, North Carolina, I should say, uh, but they, uh, they were tested this time. And I think Paul Riley 
put his team in a more defensive shape in the second half than he has in the previous uh, games in the in the league. Uh, Kansas City, Orlando, and WSL again, women's uh, women's league here in the U.S. I watched. Uh, Orlando played better defensively. They've been a mess the first three weeks of the season. They could still only manage a draw in Kansas City, but I think that's an important result. These announcers and camera work were a little better than the Carolina. Uh, Boston game. The announcers weren't great, but they were better. The camera work was much better. Uh, okay, so now let's get to pundits at the lane, Chris. I, I take it you watched this. Uh, actually, I, actually, I didn't. I didn't. So, so for those viewers, my, myself included, um, I knew of it. But let, let us know first of all what the concept is behind uh, this one one-off show, uh, one-off program, as far as the Premier League download and, and what it what actually was. So it was all the NBC pundits getting together in the same room, which happened to be the dressing room, the home dressing room at White Hart Lane, sitting in the same seats and see Bauer uh, teed it up beautifully for them. You're sitting in the same seats as Dali Ali, Harry Kane, Christian Eriksen, and uh, Vertonghen, uh, uh, all the rest of the great Spurs stars. So now let's talk about your playing career. Let's talk about what coaches influence you. Let's talk about uh, uh, punditry versus coaching et cetera, et cetera. I thought the one thing that, that struck me was that Phil Neville not having the same sort of chemistry with the NBC guys that the, the others do. The others have worked very much as a cohesive unit for six years, even about six years, sorry, now four years. The, um, even the UK and US-based teams, they interact enough right on air yep. that he was a bit out of water uh, he gave some very good insight, and he, he had the the kind the common refrain you hear in the UK on UK telecasts about English coaches not getting a fair shot, and uh, mentioning Marco Silva getting the job at at Hull, and and, and a couple of other instances. But um, he had some very good insight talking about Sir Alex Ferguson, talking about what it was like to coach in Spain, uh, what it's like to train. But he didn't have quite the the level of chemistry mm-hmm. or maybe even insight that that the others had. Um, Kartik, and actually on that too, because that, that was one of the things I think I forgot to mention when they had the Premier League road trip, and that was the only thing that, in terms of any, well, it wasn't really a negative, but in terms of things that they they could improve, was Phil Neville when they were kind of doing the pitch side discussion, just was was he was there, but he it was either he didn't prepare. Or wasn't uh, wanting to say anything controversial, but just his analysis was just bland. It just seemed that the chemistry is not there, so it's difficult to pull him in. I definitely think he's a great co-commentator, not one of the best, but he's good. He has a unique voice, too, so it kind of stands out. Um, but I thought the same thing, too, and just, just in terms of uh, the road trip, there was the, his analysis or input was kind of lacking. This begs the question whether in the UK media you can get away with saying as much that's critical. Uh, we and, and I admit it, it seems like every week on this show uh, that I'm a, I'm a massive fan of Craig Burley. He's one of my favorite uh, uh, co-commentators, analysts, pundits, whatever you want to call them, uh, on the planet uh, mm-hmm. of this sport. And uh, I think we kind of know why he's working in the United States. <laughs> so right. maybe there's just there are restrictions on what you can say. If you are a co-commentator or a pundit in the UK, because you're right, uh, Phil Neville, even pitch side that very same day, didn't have a whole lot to say. And well, um, it, he had some nice bits on this pundits in the lane, but he was really what you would call surplus to requirements. Yeah. Really, he, they did, the show didn't need him at all. Yeah, and it, it's definitely not restrictions in terms of anything official, but it's just one of those things. It's kind of an old, old boys club. So pretty much everyone knows everyone. So anything you say... 
even if it's on Irish television, you know, RAI or, or whatever the, the I forgot was RIE, but Irish television, UK television, you name it, it's going to, someone, one of your friends or one of your colleagues is going to find out about it. And maybe you're being critical about somebody. So Alan Shearer is a good example to me, at least, of somebody who's very bland, um, doesn't really add much value other than his experience but when he is um giving analysis it's it's just really kind of nothing critical uh, and and burley has told us and burley has told us i can't remember if it was on record or was in on background but i'll say now it's been a couple years since we had this conversation with him you and i did in bristol about the former players he played with Uh uh, at chelsea and and you can just think of who they might have been it might have been Rude Hull, it might have been Dennis Wise, it might have been um, it might have been uh, Steve Clark, it might have been I mean they all became coaches for Viali, you know, they all kind of uh, Zola, they Zola, all became yeah. coaches from Poyet. They all became that team, it seems like everybody went on this track to becoming a coach, with the exception of Burley, who became a pundit. And he had mentioned that there were former players that he had played with that were disappointed in his analysis because they had played with them, and they expected softer treatment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I wonder if that's the prevailing wind in, in, in the UK, which uh, is why maybe NBC Sports is so good at what they do, because there are no sacred cows. Robbie Musto is not, uh, not scared of anyone. Kyle Martino is clearly not scared of anyone. Mm-hmm. Uh, Robbie Earl is not scared of anyone other than Arsene Wenger. For some reason, he still <laughs> defends Wenger. Maybe he feels he has to with... Uh, with Musto being so adamant about Wenger needing to to, to leave, um, et cetera. We see what's happened to Stuart Robson in, in terms of Arsenal, right? Yeah. Um, and so maybe that's the prevailing. Back to the show itself, um, uh, Lee Dixon said something very interesting, which was that he learned a lot more um, from George Graham as a manager and how, how to play the game um, and how to – position yourself, et cetera, than he did from Arsene Wenger. Now, he said it was much, uh, he had got much more joy and pleasure as a footballer, as an expressive footballer and a footballer that had a certain panache about him to play for Arsene Wenger than George Graham. But as far as actually learning the game, uh, he learned a lot more from Graham. And, uh, of course, Wenger was able to attract players like Dennis Bergkamp and Thierry Henry and, and Robert Perez and all the, and Patrick Vieira, all these great players to Arsenal, to where... Um, it became more of a pleasure to play with those guys and, and feels like that was, uh, he was very successful. Uh, interestingly enough, we learned that Lee Dixon was never called into the England national team after Graham Taylor was sacked and, uh, Terry Venables took over as a manager because, um, both, um, both, uh, uh, uh Robbie Musto and, um, gosh, uh, was it Graham Lasso or was it uh, – yeah, uh, maybe it was Lasso. We're saying that Venables, they learned more from Venables than any other. Yeah, Lasso, when he's saying when he got called into England camp uh, for, with Venables, learned more from Venables than from any other manager that they had had. Now, keep in mind, Lasso was on those same Chelsea teams we talked about with Craig Burley where all the, um, all the other, um, all the other uh, players became managers and also they were managed by – Recent former players, Glenn Hoddle, uh, Rude Hulett, and um, G- uh, Viali, before they, they went out and got an established manager on Claudio Ranieri, which was right at the end of. Although Lusso must have played for Kenny Daglish, obviously, at, uh, at Blackburn also. Mm-hmm. But yep. um, that he had learned more from Venables. And Musto popped up and said, Hey, I um, was in this position where I was playing for Brian Robson. Now, I, I don't know how Phil Neville took this. Um, I was playing for Brian Robson at Middlesbrough, and I'm an established player by this time. And um, 
Robson was great to play for because he had been a great player and he understood how to relate to other players. And he brought Robinelli and all these you know, international names, uh, Juninho of significance to, to, to Middlesbrough because of his reputation as a player, Brian Robson, not because of his reputation as a coach. Um, but when Venables came in and saved us from relegation in one season, after Robson was let go, I learned more as a player than I did from Robson in the entire duration of his period, uh, his time in at, at Barrow in, in how to play the game. And Lasso was saying the same thing. Lee Dixon said, well, it's funny because he dropped me from the England team and never called me. And maybe it's because he, you know, Venables was this guy and um huh. and, and, and yeah, anti-arsenal bias who knows but these were the kinds of discussions that went on in the show and cal martino talked about rude who uh, difficulty adopting to the united states uh but then uh kind of how he learned and what he learned from from bruce arena and the national team and unfortunately uh, martino uh, didn't get called to the national team very often he only has a handful of caps as i think our listeners know so he didn't get that full experience it felt like if he had been called into the national team more he might have learned more from Bruce Arena, instead of the succession of managers, he went through an MLS, which were, uh, I think he played for Siggy Schmidt and he played for uh, Steve Sampson and, yep. and, and Frank Gallup and, and a, a couple of guys who were just your, the mill uh, MLS man. I should mention Frank Gallup is a guy who played for years for Sir Bobby Robson at Ipswich. So um, you know, maybe some of those methods rubbed off on him, but I, I, Martino didn't mention it. But it was a really interesting show. I, I recommend anyone who didn't see it, including you, Chris, go back and watch it. Yeah, it's probably on the uh, no, no, NBC. It's on NBCSports.com slash, and, 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 and you can find it for the through the video section there too. But that, that's something interesting in the context too. I mean, just in the last couple of minutes there too, just you sharing some of the uh, interesting observations and anecdotes uh, from that you learned from this show is. Uh, it's a fantastic use of their time in the UK and have it to have it set in the dressing room, a locker room uh, is uh, apropos. But but the other thing, too, I mean, looking at, say, being sports or ESPN or Fox is I can't remember anything that enlightening as far as a kind of a special one off show that kind of talks about the game and provides insight with managers, coaches, uh, players, uh, etc. that have been involved in the game. So, um it's yeah, a, it I mean, it was really one, one last point on it. It was really interesting to talk about the distinction between coaching. Phil Neville's gone and coached. He went in and was an assistant at Valencia for his brother and for a few other managers there uh, and uh, and commentating. And Musto talked about how he had come over to the U.S. initially to coach and he coached at Boston College and had a really good team. And I believe Alejandro Bedoya and maybe Charlie Davies was on that B.C. team. So by U.S. standards, he had a very good team that he was coaching uh, when he first came over after from, uh, from English football, but that um, he got called in to do a couple games uh, at ESPN, which is nearby uh, to Boston and um, was just very natural with it. And um, he misses coaching, but at the same time, he loves commentary and, and realizes you can't do both. Mm-hmm. So that was, um, that was an interesting discussion as well, because we know Robbie Earl at, at times uh, has also uh, tried to get involved in coaching and, and now was doing some work with AYSO uh, here in the States uh, on, on the side and, and is uh, from everything I've, I've heard, that's a AYSO considers that a big two coup, not just because of his uh, profile as a commentator, but because of his actual coaching ability. And that goes back to the whole uh, issue of the boys club in England and, and a guy like Robbie Earl. Uh, maybe not getting a fair shot to, to coach there and having to come to the U.S. both to further his punditry con- or continue his punditry career, but also uh, get into coaching. Right. 
So, so what else, Kartik? What else do you watch this weekend? Uh, the, the, the last thing I wanted to bring up, and, and I know you saw this. I think everybody everybody who listens to this program probably saw this. Taylor Twelman had a um, had a uh, just to me a very poignant and insightful and spot on rant, which I know has created shockwaves in the U.S. soccer landscape. Uh, U.S. soccer is running a pretty big surplus after Copa America, Centenario, and some of these other events. They may be hosting the World Cup in 2026 also. Taylor Twelman has proposed that, um, and this is, this is pretty stunning to hear a mainstream pundit propose something that I, I believe is so needed and so insightful, that the United States Soccer Federation invest that surplus in subsidizing players who cannot afford to be part of this um, wretched, if I, I could use a, a, a really strong adjective, wretched pay-to-play system here in the United States. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think he's 100% right. I think the majority of fans in their heart know he's right. There are strong institutions and strong moneyed forces who will do everything in their power to prevent that from happening. So uh, it was uh, Taylor Twelman is not scared to take on sacred cows. We've known that for years. Uh, but he's taken it to a whole new level this week, and, and he is spot on, and I applaud him for, for making the statement. And, and it's ironic, just an hour ago, I put out a press release for Boca, which you mentioned at the beginning of the show, uh, that we're linking up with a, a local nonprofit that, uh, that, that subsidizes kids to participate. Uh, now, I will admit we have an academy, which is a pay-to-play academy, but uh, those kids now who cannot afford to be in our pay-to-play academy, we're going to steer towards this nonprofit to, um, to try and work them into uh, – a situation where they where they, they learn the game and then they can eventually advance to our uh, our U eighteens and, and U twenties and, and reserve team and first team. So uh, I'm hoping that that as time goes on, there are more link ups like what we've just done with the Palm Beach Spartans throughout the country. Uh, if what Twelman suggests doesn't come to pass, now I would prefer what Twelman suggests comes to pass, but I I'm skeptical. But yeah. uh, bravo and kudos to him for for taking this on. Yeah, it's it's stunning, but. Also, it's uh, and no offense to Taylor on this one, but it's common sense to me, at least. So the background is is that uh, U.S. Soccer announced, or it was revealed, that they made a profit of approximately about forty five million, forty three million dollars from Copa America Centenario. Uh, that plus uh, all the other money they've made, uh, and I think we're approaching $100 million kind of in surplus. So they're, th- they're thinking, okay, what, what do we do with this money? And the first thing that U.S. soccer announces is that they're building a, uh, a national training academy, uh, similar to La Fontaine in France, similar to St. George's Park in England. And um, I mean, I, and, and to me, it's the U.S. already has such great facilities throughout the United States is that to me, it's a waste of money to spend that money on a, an academy at some place. Who knows if it's St. Louis or someplace that, uh, again, you're investing millions of dollars into that when you don't really need it. From personal experience, the pay-to-play system sucks because I, I have one of my one of my kids is uh, the pay the pay-to-play, or actually all of them are pay-to-play as far as AYSO if you include that. But travel soccer just for one kid uh, each year is between a thousand and two thousand dollars. That doesn't include uh, travel expenses, referee fees, uh, hotel stays. So for the average person, especially for inner city, urban, it's you can't afford to even jo- join the team. So what you do get are, you know, in kind of your suburban kids playing this game, and, and that's why whether it's girls or, or uh, boys soccer in the United States is we're not getting. Um, 
the, the, the cream of the cream in terms of the players. We're just getting the players who can afford, have parents who can afford to have their players play and participate. And then you're, you're looking at those, which are great players, but may not be the best players. So it is something that uh, I, don't, I don't see U.S. soccer addressing this, though, Kartik. I don't see them. Now they should. You mean definitely that should be the no, first, I first think, thing I they think they were. I think they were irritated uh, oh, by yeah. Coleman. Yeah, doing big time. This. And uh, there is there is already um, the usual suspects. Some of the usual suspects, not all of them. Some of them out there defending. You know, not uh, saying, "Hey, Twelman, uh, you, you're, you're you're in fantasy land." Or all these operational things we need to do. All these other things that are important that have to come first, and uh, in order to kind of build a buffer and build a build a, a mm-hmm. moat around U.S. soccer yeah. to protect them from this. But uh, I. To me, yes, it is common sense, but it's also the kind of common sense that institutionally, yeah. uh, if you're if you're on the inside, you can't express that opinion publicly. So again, uh, no surprise if someone was going to do it, it would be Taylor Twelman because he's the best in the business in this country, and yeah. he's also, uh, along with Eric Ronaldo, maybe the guy in the U.S. soccer uh, landscape least scared of uh, of taking these issues on these types of issues on, but. Um, Again, uh, it was very courageous of him to come out and, and, and do it. And, and, I, and I wonder at what point uh, ESPN is going to, um, to realize that they have a gem in Twelman and allow him maybe even more autonomy to have these sort of commentary maybe once a week on the broadcast or whenever because he's just spot on with so much he's saying. Yeah, I mean, really, there's a lot of listeners, listeners that don't like him. I know that for sure, just in terms of uh, comments we get through the website. But I, I think he's uh, probably the only person in the U.S. from a kind of that talent level in terms of a soccer pundit who's willing to say it as it is. Uh, Lalas, on the other hand, is you mean kind of basically kind of a spokesperson for Major League Soccer in terms of a PR person, the things he says in terms of the way he backs up the league and destroys his credibility. Twelman is probably the only guy that's a U.S. Uh, analyst who's willing to speak out on things that are, that are important. This is a huge item, and this is a, a big opportunity for U.S. soccer to change the landscape, to to improve things in terms of future generations for sport in this country, of the sport of soccer. Um, yeah, he's the guy. And, and, and that's the thing that's kind of frustrating is it is common sense, but for him to go out on a limb to actually say this in some ways puts him in jeopardy, or at least in terms of relationships with the higher ups within U.S. soccer and Major League Soccer. Uh, I'm sure that they were, you mean, absolutely pissed off, for lack of a better word, at this. Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I can't imagine what the reaction was. Uh, I mean, I can't imagine, say, <laughs> but I can't imagine how right. strong. Uh, some of the words are, we would love to have been a fly in the wall uh, uh, at the uh, <laughs> soccer house after the, these comments were made. Right, definitely, definitely. So, so yeah, hats off to Twelman for for having the guts to stand up. To me, really, as far as ESPN, going back to what you said there, Kartik, a minute ago, is he deserves his own show. I mean, he, he, he deserves, whether it's a weekly podcast or something, where he is coming out and just, you mean, you mean just having discussion about different things, about how to uh, enhance the sport or improve the sport and um, maybe do some interviews. Uh, to, to, to me, he's that good. So, Kartik, let's, let's move on. Uh, some of the games I watched this week, 
uh, this past weekend. Uh, we'll get to Champions League in a minute. That's definitely a, a high point. I watched the Hull against Sunderland game on Saturday, and uh, this one was one I was watching extremely closely. Um, I actually, I missed the first half, though. One of my kids was at a YSO game. So I came back, caught the second half, and holy cow, what, what, a, what, a, what a game. Um, from a personal Swansea City perspective, I was, I was so happy on this one in terms of uh, Sunderland getting the shock win. And then, of course, going into the Swansea-Everton game then, I was on cloud nine thinking, okay, please, please, just win this game. Um, and they pulled it out, the 1-0 victory. I actually thought their performance wasn't that good. I thought Everton was poor. I thought Swansea uh, was just really frustrating to watch in terms of always losing possession, panicking. Uh, but at the end of the day, uh, what a result. And now put Swansea in the driving seat. And uh, if they win this weekend against Sunderland and then Crystal Palace beats Hull on Sunday, then Swansea stays up. And uh, the interesting thing from a TV perspective on this one, Kartik, was that uh, after the Swansea-Everton game, even Rebecca Lowe sounded emotional after the Swansea win at the end of this game. Just the emotions on the pitch in terms of the players, um, Paul Clement, the, the manager, uh, the fans, you could really feel it. So, so that was touching to see in terms of her get, getting cut, caught up in the emotions and and we'll speak to that in a couple of minutes too in terms of the tv ratings that backs that up too in terms of um i think most americans uh, who are into soccer even if they're not swansea or everton fans were watching this one with, with a close eye uh and then um i watched a little bit of the granada actually i watched quite a bit of the granada Granada against Real Madrid game on uh, Saturday afternoon. This was a thrashing uh, uh, by Real Madrid over uh, Granada. What was interesting was that post-match for being sports, I don't think this has ever happened that I can remember. About an hour after the game, they're doing sort of the, the, the post-match and discussions, etc. But the fire alarm went off in the building at being sports during the program. And... Uh, Credit to Kay Murray. She kept on going. She did a great job talking over it. But that was pretty distracting for the viewers. So after about 10 or 15 minutes or so, I switched channels just because the noise of the, you mean, the high-pitched noise of the fire alarm in the background was really annoying. But I thought she did a great job of keeping her composure and uh, plowing right through. Kay Murray is is really improved she's improved more than anyone in the four years that Bian has been on the air or, or the length of time she's been there uh, unfortunately for her she will be covering borough again next season uh, on Bian as they return uh, to the yeah. championship i know she would have preferred them to stay in the premier league but she she's uh she is a fantastic professional and i think uh the um, the issue with BN now is I don't know that they have as many really good seasoned studio hosts as her. So when when she's rotated out, and I didn't feel this way a year or two ago about her, when she's rotated out and they bring someone else in, uh, I feel like there's a drop off in level, which uh, I like, uh, is a real testimony to her. I like I like Terry Lee. I know she's been doing a lot of uh, MotoGP and bike moto a, a, a whole bunch of bunch of automotive stuff in the past uh, few months. So she's been uh, Jeremy St. Louis might be able to. I mean, I think between the two of them, I think I think um, they could step in. But but Kay Murray has improved quite a bit. I, I do agree, and she's uh, probably at the top of her game in terms of uh, what she's been providing, and also kind of uh, facilitating the uh, conversations and debates and discussions uh, post match and pre game. And then, um, so the Champions League matches, um, Tuesday was the Juventus against Monaco at uh, Guy Mowbray and uh, Danny Higginbotham uh, commentating on that one. 
nothing really uh, worth mentioning there. The Real Madrid against Atletico game on uh, Wednesday. Now, the TV coverage of this game by UEFA, by the, the producers um, involved in um, producing this match, was exceptional. There were a ton of overhead shots from the uh, the helicopter that they had. Uh, this, of course, was the uh, the final game, final Champions League game uh, played at uh, Vicente Calderon. Uh, they're going to be move, moving to a new stadium uh, next season. But the way that this match was produced uh, was just incredible to watch. Uh, the stands are so close to the pitch that you can see how close the fans are to the field. Uh, the, the atmosphere, the noise coming from the fans was incredible. And I also love seeing all the close-ups and angles of the uh, Benzema uh, dribble where he beat three athletic uh, players uh, near the corner flag. We had about three or four different camera angles of that. That was fantastic. I ate that up. Um, regarding the game itself, what a difference it makes having the Fox announcers at the stadium instead of in a uh, sterile booth uh, in an L.A. studio. We had uh, John Strong and Brad Friedel there uh, for the second week in a row for the, uh, the Madrid derby. And uh, John Strong, uh, during the game, uttering the words, it's starting to shake where we're standing after Atleti scored the first goal. And to me, that just sucks you right into the broadcast. Uh, it makes such a huge difference to have them at the stadium. And I loved it. I thought, I thought it was great. Great commentating by the two of them. And uh, what an excellent match to watch. And uh, the only negatives on this one was at the very end of the match, actually probably about, the, probably about a minute to go in the game, uh, the game's still going on, and John Strong and Brad Friedel start talking about the U.S. Uh, uh, in the U-20 World Cup. And they, had, they were going in a conversation, the final whistle went, and they were still talking about the U.S. Uh, Under-20 World Cup. I know Friedel's involved in that in terms of uh, uh, overseeing the team, but still, I thought it was kind of uh, poor taste in terms of you got UEFA Champions League, you got Real Madrid fans watching this game, expecting kind of at the end, kind of talking about how great uh, Real Madrid was over the two legs, and instead you got uh, John Strong making a plug for uh, US, well, the U20 World Cup going to be on Fox uh, this summer. And then um, the other thing which was interesting too, and actually let me move to one of the questions from one of the, uh, the listeners. Actually, it was a comment on uh, Twitter, and that was from Ian Jett. And he said, let me find this real fast here. He says, um, this is through Twitter. He says, the quality of difference between NBC and Fox of the sound from the stadium and the sound of the announcers is staggering. It seems like NBC has their mics in the stadium while Fox is getting the audio source from somewhere else and mixing it. Now, this one, I, actually, I was okay with this, though. I mean, it's, it's a fair comment from Ian. Uh, I was okay. It reminded me of the audio that I used to hear uh, from a European Cup game in the late 70s or early 80s uh, on BBC or ITV when, say, Liverpool or Not Nottingham Forest would be, would be playing away at a stadium uh, on the continent of Europe, say, in uh, Germany or Italy, wherever it may be. And the commentator would be announcing the game through a telephone since that was the easiest way at the time that they could get the audio commentary from the match uh, back to the studio. And uh, th and that's what what it reminded me of, too, because I think Brad Friedel's mic didn't sound like it was uh, perfectly uh, set up. And um, so the, the what you heard it was somebody at the stadium. It didn't sound so, uh, so pure, uh, so to speak. 
that is something though with NBCs that the audio quality, even at the stadiums, it sounds sounds just as great as as if they're in the studio. So I actually enjoyed that. It made it feel that okay, they're actually at the stadium. The quality isn't as good, but you can hear the passion and just uh, even John Strong and Brad Friedel talking at, near the end of the game about how it was raining and raining sideways and they were getting wet. I, I just love that, and that's something that. Um, uh, hats off to Fox for finally sending these guys out to Europe. It's been, gosh, I don't know, a year since they've sent anyone out to a stadium to commentate a game, but it makes a huge difference, and I, I enjoyed it. And then Kartik, uh, let me see if there's anything else I watched. I think that's about it. We're recording this one on Thursday, so we didn't get a chance to watch the Europa League matches. Um, by the time you guys listen to this, you guys will know what the results are from that match. All right, Kartik. So moving on. So um, I want to give a, a shout out to our sponsor, and that's uh, SeatGeek. Uh, buying tickets to sports and concerts can be complicated, but there is a better, simpler way to buy, and that's with SeatGeek. SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to live events. With SeatGeek's seamless mobile experience, you can buy and sell tickets in just two taps. SeatGeek helps you uh, find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like seeing your favorite team or musician in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, I have the SeatGeek app on my phone, and I've been using it uh, the last couple of months. It's been by far the easiest way to to find uh, tickets. Uh, I can be anywhere, and just with two taps, um, I can find out, instantly find seats, and I actually just used it recently to uh, check for ICC games uh, this summer. And the app experience is simple and easy to use. It's designed to uh, help make the ticket buying experience easier than ever. It saves you time and money by watching, uh, by searching multiple ticket sites to compare prices and find amazing deals. And to get the most bang for your buck, SeatGeek grades every ticket based on value to help you uh, immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Make SeatGeek your go-to app for finding the best deals for, on every type of ticket. And best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Kartik, onto the TV streaming news, and uh, I'll let you uh, kick it off. Yeah, a lot going on this week in terms of uh, in terms of news uh, that that our listeners will be interested in. I guess we'll start with uh, the Bundesliga. Their final two match days will be featured on Fox Sports Two. Uh, Fox, yeah, Fox Sports Two, uh, with multi match ninety presentation, which is fantastic news. Now there is no title race. There is a very live race for 16th which is um for those of you that are not bundesliga fans the the team that finishes 16th goes into a playoff with the third place team from bundesliga two um and uh the 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 loser of that two-leg series gets relegated the table right now has some huge names potentially getting sucked into that 16th place uh situation hamburg hsv uh, a club that I know you saw within the last decade play a Champions League match in person, Chris, yep. uh, is is right now sitting in that relegation spot or that relegation playoff spot. Mines, who's been a top-half club uh, for a long time now. Thomas Tuchel had them knocking on the door of the Champions League a few years ago. Uh, they are 
a uh, they are sitting level on points with Hamburg. Uh, Wolfsburg, who's been in Champions League a lot recently, has advanced to the knockout stages as recently as maybe last season. Well, it was last season, right? They were in the knockout stages. They're only two points clear of relegation. Augsburg has, has come on a little strong uh, recently and gotten out of relegation trouble. They are Leverkusen, Champions League regulars, who actually advanced to the knockout stages this season in the Champions League. Uh, Sitting on 37 points, only three points clear. There is a lot to play for. Eintracht uh, now is uh, is safe, but they, it was uh, quite a struggle for them. And they were a team that finished very high uh, last season. And also this season is in the German Cup final. So uh, really a lot at stake. And, and in theory, Ingolstadt, who was sitting in a... Um, permanent relegation spot can still get out, but they would have to win both games and, and get a whole lot of help uh, to avoid relegation. So there is a lot at stake in the final two match days of the Bundesliga. Props to Fox for doing this. Uh, NBC doesn't have the option to because the Premier League doesn't have the unified start times until the final weekend of the season. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, there are all kinds of midweek makeup matches in the Premier League this final week of the season, which I think is not ideal. But that's the way the scheduling turned out. Uh, real quickly, I want to point out that BN Sport did a great job of uh, the final match day of the championship. I did uh, keep track of that. I did watch that. I should have included that in my uh, what to watch. I ended up watching championship that day and not watching the Premier League. So yeah. uh, thank, thank you to BN for that. They showed three matches at once and uh, constant updates on everything else going on. Yeah, yeah, and just like the championship, it always goes down to the to the, the wire. Sometimes until the last minutes of these games, with uh, e- even for uh, Newcastle sealing a promotion on no, sealing the championship, they won it uh, when everyone thought the Brighton would would win it, and uh, and of course Blackburn Rovers going down uh, to getting relegated to to League One. Uh, on the last day of the season. So, the, the, yeah, multi-match 90 is perfect for the Bundesliga, especially when there's so many games going on. The other thing that, uh, to note is that this weekend, um, it's uh, Leipzig against Bayern Munich. is going to be on Big Fox at 9.30 Eastern time. Um, the shame of all that, though, too, Kartik, my only criticism is that it seems that Fox and the Bundesliga always have these games, that, the over-the-air games on... Fox and it's now almost one every uh, other uh, one every two weeks now. It's always at this stage in the, of the year. I'm sure it's probably because of calendar in terms of uh, making sure that there's no overlap with other things going on. But for the most part, unless it's a relegation battle, which we'll see on multi match ninety, the the actual title race is already well and truly over. So the Leipzig against Bayern Munich game this weekend, I can't think of any reason to watch this other than just for pure entertainment uh, there's not much there's nothing riding on this one right 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 and if leipzig gets a point they finish second and they've also already clinched a uh, a, a straight ticket without a a, a playoff uh, play-in game uh, play-in ser- uh, tie to uh the group stages of the champions league now i do want to point out there are some questions about whether leipzig is going to be given um, a what, what do they call that? A club certificate or whatever uh, for European competition next year. Uh, I think that's a little bit ridiculous. Hopefully they'll be in Champions League. They've certainly earned it. Uh, but yeah, there's no reason to watch this match now. Just a few weeks ago, we thought this would be a very big match mm-hmm. because Leipzig had the opportunity, if I remember correctly, to cut the deficit to five points. And they played Schalke and drew and then lost the following week and Bayern won and they pumped back to... Uh, it, it, it jumped back to 10, which is where it stands today. But uh, there was an opportunity at one point for Leipzig to really make this game meaningful. And this game is at Leipzig. So um, 
it's uh, I, I think it is an important match, though, in the sense that Carlo Ancelotti is feeling a lot of heat. And if he loses this match to Leipzig and the de- the final deficit at the end of the season ends up being Bayern winning the title by seven rather than by 13. And they lost in the quarterfinals of Champions League, albeit under very strange and suspicious circumstances. Uh, the questions, the buzzards begin coming out for him. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Uh, in other news, uh, the Africa Champions League is being broadcast by BN Sports in the US. So teams such as uh, Zamalek uh, from Egypt uh, and many other top uh, African club teams are now on BN Sports Connect. So um, there's an article about it on WorldSoccerTalk.com if you want to find out more information about that. Kartik, what, what other news is there? Uh, Fubo Premier has added Fox Sports Go authentication, which is uh, great news for all those Fubo Premier subscribers. Uh, obviously, uh, Fubo has really upgraded its product recently, and now uh, you can watch whatever's on Fox Sports Go, which is helpful to people in places where uh, Fox preempts games like here in South Florida sometimes. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. And, and also, too, with Football Premier in terms of uh, over-the-air Fox. So, for, for example, this weekend's game between uh, Leipzig and Bayern Munich or the FA Cup final or the UEFA Champions League final are all going to be on Big Fox. Now, if you're if you're a cord cutter and you want to watch that uh, through Fubo, it's only in select cities for the Fox over the air channel. So if you are one of those cities that's not included where you cannot watch uh, that, you can then just authenticate with Fox Sports Go using your Fubo login and then just watch that match no matter where you are in the US. So that guarantees you uh, being able to see the big Fox games, which is which is huge, especially this time of the season. Now, now, Kartik, um, on to some other news. Major League Soccer and Liga MX have agreed that they'll participate in an annual tournament, according to the president of Liga MX Club Atlas. Uh, so it looks like uh, Chivas, Club America, Tijuana, and an- one other uh, Liga MX team will compete. Uh, the MLS clubs have not been finalized yet in terms of who will um, compete in this one. But this one looks like it could be a big hit at least for television we don't know who the rights would go to uh, nothing official has been announced in terms of the tournaments but uh, I'm sure this is one that MLS is looking at as far as okay if we can attract some of these Liga MX viewers and we've seen those big numbers uh, to watch more MLS and, and vice versa for Liga MX uh, it could be a good marriage but uh, we'll have to wait and see it's, it's, how it's structured. Sounds very much Sounds very much like Superliga, yeah. uh, the defunct Superliga. And if uh, if Univision doesn't get the rights to this, I'm sure they're going to be very unhappy because they have a contract with so- Soccer United Marketing. They have, um, yeah, I, 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 would, would I would assume it would be Univision. Yeah, I would, I would assume it would be Univision and Fox, that just the two of them uh, getting together on this one and then doing uh, midweek games for uh, this competition, uh, which I would guess would start... Uh, maybe later this year or, or next year, the the timing of it will be key in terms of when that happens. If it's you know, I mean during the off season of MLS or during you mean the summer, perhaps summer would be great. But uh, we we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I have to admit, I was one of the few people who really liked Superliga, so I don't mind it coming back. And and uh, I am not a huge Concacaf Champions League fan, so uh, a midsummer competition between U.S. and Mexican teams, uh, I'm all for that. I just hope that the scheduling is done right. Uh, moving on, uh, Jurgen Klinsmann, the former U.S. men's national team manager, is unlikely to be in Fox's studio for the World Cup. And I'll tell you why. Lothar Mateus, his archenemy, uh, maybe the most vicious critic Klinsmann has had, 
has been hired as a student analyst for the Confederations Cup. Uh, and I assume that means he'll be held over for the World Cup unless maybe Klinsman comes in for that. Um, on this hiring, Chris, I uh, am underwhelmed, to say the least. So, 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 so let, let, let the readers, our listeners know. So, so the, uh, this was going back to how far back does this go as far as Klinsman against Mat- Mateus in terms of the criticism? Is this just. This goes back to their playing careers. Okay. Okay, so they're just fierce competitors uh, yeah. on and off the pitch. And then, uh, huh, okay. Well, so, so in terms of um, my two cents on this one, uh, to me, if you could pick the worst German pundit possible to uh, bring in for t- television coverage, it's probably Luther Matthias. Now, as a native German speaker, I'm sure he's great on German television. But in the United States, there's a lot of baggage with him. So um, he has a track record. Uh, mostly because of his uh, performances uh, for the Metro Stars in Major League Soccer uh, when he was playing for the team of being somebody that was uh, really came out here just for uh, the vacation, wasn't really interested in, in, in really playing that much. And when he did play, he'd be walking around the pitch. I saw him personally several times playing, uh, just did not seem that, that interested other than cashing a paycheck. And... Um, I mentioned in the last episode too that uh, Grant Wall recently interviewed John Strong, and in that in that interview, John Strong said that uh, that Fox was going to blow the roof off anything that uh, ESPN did for their World Cup broadcasts. And while this isn't a World Cup broadcast um, appointment, it could be, but it's for the Confederation Confederations Cup. Um, it's still a first bad step by Fox because. Mateus, among most Major League Soccer fans that have been around MLS for quite a while, has a bad reputation. Uh, also on WorldSoccerTalk.com, there's a clip there too of Mateus um, uh, on Al Jazeera for the UEFA Champions League uh, coverage that he did about five years ago. And you have to watch it. It's, it's uh, F-bombs, definitely not safe for work. But what happened was, I guess, at the last minute, Matthias uh, flew out to wherever the game was. It looks like it was in Munich, perhaps, and was told at the last minute that he wasn't going to be uh, appearing on the set. And he just let loose on the producer. And the whole thing was caught on videotape. And probably somebody at Al Jazeera released it. But it's, I guess he has, I mean, baggage in terms of a poor playing career at, in MLS. As far as Germany uh, and Mönchengladbach and all the teams he's played for, one of the best uh, German players uh, ever. But as a, an actual broadcaster and pundit, English speaking, a lot of question marks. And, and I'm sure he'll, be do, he'll do okay, but he's definitely no Michael Ballack. So, Kartik, um, in other news, uh, this is kind of this is definitely some sad news, and that's that uh, B in Sports is uh, commentator Ray Hudson. His father uh, passed away on Tuesday night at the age of ninety-eight. Now, uh, Ray said on Twitter that he'll be away for a little while, but knowing how close Ray is uh, to his dad, uh, if anyone's listened to any of his interviews with Ray Hudson or. Um, just, just had a chance to meet him. Uh, he was very close to his father, often going back to Newcastle to, to talk to him about life and you mean, Newcastle United and his career, etc. Uh, Ray was extremely close to his dad. So when Ray says he might be gone for a little while, it might be, it might be a while because I think it's going to take some time uh, for him to uh, go through the grieving process on this one. So it could be a, a loss for being sports during the biggest part of the season with La Liga, with the title race coming uh, so close. 
But uh, anyway, it's it's, it's uh, our condolences to to Ray Hudson on on the passing of his father. That's uh, definitely sad news. Okay, Kartik. So let's move on to TV ratings. So um, as always, um, we're still tabulating and still researching and contacting the different networks for the numbers, and we will post all of those on WorldSoccerTalk.com. Lately, we've been posting them on Friday or Saturday, depending on when we get the numbers from everyone. Um, but some of the numbers that jump out at us from this past weekend. So we had the the biggest number we've seen thus far is Arsenal against Man United. Uh, that was the match on Sunday. I I don't think you saw that one. Did you Carter? We didn't mention it. I I didn't see it. One of my kids. Had, I didn't watch it. No, yeah, one of my kids. One of my kids had a game, so I missed that one. But I had the biggest number that was seven hundred sixty-seven thousand on NBCSN. Uh, I mentioned it earlier as far as the Swansea against Everton match uh, that was on the big NBC. A relegation battle for Swansea, uh, Everton pretty much uh, comfortable in their position uh, in the Premier League, but 709,000 people watched that one, which is actually a really decent number given some of the other games we've had recently. Um, Swansea definitely does not have a large following in the US, Everton does, but for a match, I, I think a lot of people were tuned into, into this one for the relegation perspective. Um, one more example, too, of the relegation perspective is Hull City against Sunderland. Now, at the beginning of the season, if you said, OK, well, what viewership could Hull City against Sunderland get? You mean you might say I don't know, 100, 150,000 people. Well, for this one that was on, on NBCSN on Saturday, there was a viewership of 310,000 people, which to me is pretty darn good for a game that's uh, between two clubs that have a very little following. But... Really, it's uh, to me. It says to me, Kartik, that um, Americans love promotion relegation. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I think that that's. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, I, I, I mean, we're gonna we're probably gonna talk a little bit more about this in our future topic of the week. So I'll, I'll let it lie for now. Okay, um, some of the other numbers too. So uh, New York City uh, FC against Atlanta United on uh, Unamas and Univision Deportes networks. If you uh, combine those numbers together, that was four hundred thirty-six thousand people for the uh, the Sunday broadcast. And 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 uh, given what we've seen so far from MLS from the last few weeks, that's a good number. Um, Seattle against Toronto on ESPN on the big ESPN. On Saturday, had 305,000 people. Um, and then the Minnesota against uh, Sporting Kansas City on FS1 on Sunday had 167,000 viewers. Now, the one thing that uh, following up on last week's show, too, is that, again, more viewers tuned in for the pregame coverage on NBCSN uh, for the Premier Leagues, uh, Premier League Live is what they call it, uh, from the 10.30 to 11 o'clock in the morning Eastern Time Sunday block, uh, 397,000 than any MLS game on ESPN or FS1 this past weekend. Yeah, I think it's the MLS numbers were better this week, though, and I think it's significant to talk about NYCFC versus Atlanta because they, those are two huge television markets locked into one another, and maybe MLS will use this as, as evidence that if they uh, – tie two newer teams in large television markets together, then they can get a monster rating or not monster ratings, but good ratings for them. Mm-hmm. Um, the, now, when it comes down to it, though, they only have a few t- newer teams in big markets. They'll have LAFC next year, but uh, it's, it's basically down to NYC, FC, Atlanta and LAFC and maybe showcasing those teams as much as you can. Uh, still, 
uh, MLS ratings are underwhelming. I, it's just relative to previous weeks. I'm thinking this is a bit of a bump. Yeah, 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 definitely. I think the Univision one uh, helps out too with it being a Sunday afternoon. Uh, to me, I always kind of think of uh, Mexican soccer and uh, Sunday afternoons being a bit good fit. So there's probably a lot of people tuning in to watch Univision Deporters and then came across the uh, Atlanta against uh, NYCFC game. So so definitely a good opportunity to to uh, to bring that. I mean, have more people watching Atlanta, especially being a, a new expansion team. Moving on to the next segment, and that's uh, feedback and listener mailbag. And uh, just a couple of comments here, too, from Twitter. Uh, one was from somebody called, uh, the handle is called Nuke. And he says, uh, can you give your thoughts on the MUTV app for Man United fans? I think it's a great value at $6 a month. Now, Kartik, I, I haven't used it. I, I'm sure <laughs> you as a Man City fan, I'm sure, haven't used it. Um, but what it does do is it's 24-7. It streams the MUTV channel. Uh, also provides uh, pre-match uh, analysis and interviews post-match too. Uh, but if you're a Man United fan, and I mean six bucks bucks a month, that definitely sounds like a good deal to me. And then uh, the, the next comments uh, through Twitter is from Ross, and he says, uh, <laughs> he says, Kartik, only the World Soccer Talk podcast could look at a TV network like Fox going all in on domestic soccer in a negative light. So, so this one, uh, I replied to, to Ross on this one. It's, and, and I think this harps back to the, the I think you missed this, Kartik, last week where um, Mark Donaldson and I talked about um, the interview that um, John Strong did with Grant Wall, where Grant Wall interviewed uh, John Strong. And John Strong admitted that um, he has to sell Major League Soccer when he's commentating a game. He doesn't have to do that through Champions, in a Champions League match. It's a different type of uh, you know, commentary. And, and to me, it's, I think it, there's nothing wrong with Fox going all in on MLS. I want to see MLS grow just as much as uh, most U.S. soccer fans does. But when they do it in an inauthentic way, where it seems very forced, um, and it seems to the detriment of, say, Champions League coverage, where it's supposed to be a Champions League show, and you're spending 20 minutes talking about this week, no offense, Kartik, but NASL, NWSL, lots of things that have absolutely nothing to do with UEFA Champions League, it just leaves a bad taste in my mouth. So, so there's nothing wrong with Fox promoting domestic soccer. Um, it just, I think, I mean, they, they, they do a lot of it, um, and it doesn't, for the most part, seem to work that well. So there, there's other issues which we'll get into uh, in a few minutes. Any thoughts, Kartik? Any, any comments there? Yeah, first off, on, on Nuke's uh, comment, uh, the Manchester City did that for four ninety nine when they first released their app a couple of years ago and eventually made the app free. So uh, maybe United fans just want to hold out uh, and they'll get it for free eventually <laughs> when they realize they can't monetize this. Uh, on Ross's comment, uh, I, I, I'm glad to an extent they're going in all-in on domestic soccer, although I'm not sure that they really have because they haven't covered USL. They pick up USL games. They were going all-in on domestic soccer. Be in sports is their network showing us NASL. And NWSL rights pass to uh, – to, to uh, A&E and li- a Lifetime. Fox could have made an investment in NWSL where n- badly needed cash for that league and uh, or, or figured out a streaming uh, component like Go90 has, Verizon and Go90 have. So um, I'm not sure they're all in on domestic soccer. They're all in on MLS and U.S. Yeah. US Soccer Federation soccer 
and what Soccer United marketing has given them in their rights package. So I, I think that we need to get past think uh, automatically uh, equating everything that's good for MLS and U.S. soccer as being good for domestic soccer, because mm-hmm. that that is where the argument is already lost for people like me who try and look at a, a broader picture of things. Right, exactly. And that Twitter comment is, is exactly that to me, is that uh, when he says domestic soccer, he's saying Major League Soccer and not thinking of NASL or NPSL or even USL or any of the other leagues. Um, he's just uh, saying domestic soccer is a Major League Soccer. Well, it's not. Okay, so let's move on to our, our next uh, segment, which is our featured topic of the week. We're going to be talking about what's wrong with Major League Soccer's strategy to improve TV ratings. So in an interview last week with Sports Business Journal, uh, Major League Soccer executives have revealed their plan to improve lagging TV ratings. The plan includes, first, cameras in the locker rooms before the game. Second, access to team huddles. Uh, Third, putting microphones on coaches during games. And then fourth, increasing the number of media car wash tours. Now, car wash tours, basically what, what that, that is, is that, um, for example, if it's uh, Clint Dempsey and uh, Seattle Sounders, um, they'll go ahead and uh, send him to New York City for the day. And we'll just will go from back to back to back uh, different places. So they'll start off, say, at the New York Times for a quick interview. Then they'll move to the, the Good Morning America show. Then from there, they'll move on to, uh, I don't know, uh, another channel. And it's back to back to back. It's basically a, it's a press tour. It's, it's kind of a press tour sandwiched into uh, a short day and just trying to make as many media appearances as possible. Most of them are not soccer uh, media companies. Most of them are just uh, large uh, media networks, etc. So, so that was their the fourth was increasing the number of uh, media car wash tours. So, while those changes are welcome, to me, they do nothing to improve MLS TV ratings. The reason why soccer fans are not watching Major League Soccer is not because of a lack of lock, locker room access, and it's not because the coaches aren't aren't mic'd up. It's because the league structure is fundamentally flawed. What's the point of watching an eight-month regular season when 54% of the teams qualify for the playoffs? What's the incentive for the viewer to watch the broadcast? So according to the Sports Business Journal article, it took Major League uh, League Soccer stakeholders more than 18 months of research, meetings, and discussions to come up with this plan. Uh, Discussions started in the summer of 2015, which to me is not a good look for the league. It's taken two years to get to the point of moving at a snail's pace and really, to me, not addressing the issue, the key issues of why Major League Soccer is not improving in the TV ratings. Um, so so a lot to take in there, Kartik. So basically, what's your thoughts on this one? What's your opinions? Yeah, I am... Um, I'm really... Um at a loss to understand how this is going to improve things for major league soccer. Look, I mean, maybe it's my background in politics, but the thing I have learned through working political campaigns, and this, this goes for the democratic party, which is the party I'm affiliated with. You don't, if you don't secure your base, you don't need to go chasing swing voters and, and casual voters. Okay. Mm-hmm. And major league soccer, their base, the base among core soccer fans in this country gets larger and larger every year or at the very least is stagnant. 
And Major League Soccer has just got a fraction of that base that they need to secure to then make an attack on casual sports fans. And they are doing nothing based on this article and 18 months of research. And I'm glad it took them 18 months. Actually, I disagree with you on that. I think that that it's very good that they took the time realizing they have a problem on television and to come up with what should be proper solutions. But in fact, in my opinion, they have not. They are doing nothing to appear to core soccer fans with this um, with this research, and why why not put um, put some of this money that it took to commission these sorts of studies into uh, increasing player salaries, uh, increasing levels of competition, increasing uh, money for player development? I know they say they spend all kinds of money on player development, but it's it's just relative to the lack of money they spend on the technical side in general. Why is it that they're not willing to do things? that actually addressed the product and the perception of the product that will improve its the television ratings among people who already watch soccer, don't have to be convinced to watch soccer. Uh, American football fans and baseball fans who, who um, may not like the sport or may have, an, in fact, worse, an inherent bias against the sport. And now, as far as trying to appeal to a lot of the mainstream media, MLS knows better. I mean, I think that they're desperate, and I, and I, feel, I feel for them because – I think they've been the they've been the victim of a lot of discrimination among establishment sports media mm-hmm. and establishment um, non sports media like casual media like Good Morning America who just views soccer as a second or third tier sport in this country or just has a has just an, a bias against the sport being un American. Um, it bothers me. It bothers me a lot when the media appeal uh, talks about four major sports and talks about major sports leagues and don't include. Major League Soccer, the uh, the media here in Florida who talks about all our major league teams in the state and leaves out Orlando City, who to me is as popular as any major league team in the state that's not in the NFL. They're more popular than the baseball teams in the state. They're more popular than the hockey teams in the state. They're more popular than the NBA teams in the state. They're more popular than the NBA team in their city. Um, so that bothers me. But again, MLS should know by now that they're up against a brick wall. Why keep fighting that battle? Go to where your base is. Fight for your base. If you do things to improve your product and change the perception of your product, and a lot of the perceptions are unfair, um, maybe good things will happen. I think this is a step in the wrong direction. I think part of, part of it, though, too, Kartik, is just the structure that MLS has in place, where we talked about uh, the good old boys club in the beginning of the show in terms of the commentators, where they're afraid to be outspoken, they're afraid to speak their minds, they're, they're afraid to say common sense things. And you've built an organization that is very much, if you step out of line, you're usually smacked, whether it's uh, pulling credentials, whether it's... Um, there's lots of different instances, whether it's fi- uh, firing uh, beat reporters, whether it's pulling Eric Winalda off uh, MLS broadcasts on Fox. So th- they've created an organization where they're, they're not a very open organization. There's, there's very little transparency. And all of these changes that they're um, putting into effect, it doesn't change anything. It doesn't move the needle at all. So all of these changes, I'm sure the broadcasters are happy. I mean, the ESPNs, the Foxes, the Univisions, Cameras in the locker room before the game, high five. Access to, he- to team huddles, high five. Put the mics on, on coaches during games, high five. And increasing the number of media car wash tours, anyway, high five again. This is great. Isn't this wonderful? Look what MLS is doing. Isn't this wonderful? It's have, it'll have absolutely no impact. And if anything, it's going to have probably a negative impact as far as having the coaches mic'd up. 
it's going to seem very NFL. And yeah, and yeah, just and it seems like the games aren't that serious if that's the case because I think there's a competitive issue where. Um, and keep in mind, you're not coming. You're not dealing with players and coaches who come from American sport and culture. You're dealing with players and coaches in many cases who come from a culture in Latin America or Europe where uh, these things are handled differently, and they're not going to want to be subjected to that. Now, I, I do applaud MLS for wanting their players to be more open and their coaches to be more open because if you go to if you go to England, I mean, it's a closed shop, right? If you go to Italy, it's a closed shop in 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 for media in getting access to these guys um but at the same time i think it it may from a again from the perspective of a core football fan a core soccer fan it may make the league seem very kind of amateurish and bush league and i have to tell you having worked in the nasl when we had our broadcast and we would mandate coaches speak at uh halftime or after the game and after the game a lot of um a lot of our coaches, many of whom were foreign, many of whom were British, Colin Clark, Ricky Hill, et cetera, um, they just didn't care for that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? yep. And, and they, it, it just, to them, it, it impacted their routine going into halftime, giving a team talk, and then, um, and then uh, you know, what they do after the game. Now, I, I will say um, the dynamics of team talks at halftime have changed through the years to where – uh, you used to go into, into team talk and you'd have a guy like Neil Warnock at halftime just screaming at you. You know, you, you see these YouTube ramps when he was at yeah. Sheffield United uh, of what he would do to his players. Now, coaches tend to give players two or three minutes to cool off before addressing them. So the TV interview, I think, is less intrusive now than it would have been 10 years ago because coaches have learned. I don't know if it's what they're teaching in coaching clinics and, or what have you, but that. I've observed from working in the game and covering the game that coaches tend to give players a few minutes to sort it out themselves in uh, the dressing room before then addressing them. Um, that having been said, it still cuts into that time. So yeah, um, I'm, I think a lot of coaches won't like it. I'm, I'm okay with some of these changes just in terms of um, just enhancing things as far as the locker room ac- access before the game. Uh, we've seen that for, with the FA Cup. Uh, I think we saw that. Um, I think Univision did that for the MLS Cup final last year too. Um, access to the team huddles. Uh, it's a bit personal space, but whatever. Mike's on coaches. I think that's a bad move. Yeah, you, you have to be careful with it because yesterday uh, in our U.S. Open Cup game, I, I had taken a picture of, of our coaches going through tactics and, and uh, a formation change for the players and, and coach admitting that we hadn't trained in that formation and was then cautioned, hey, don't put that on Twitter. Don't put that picture on Twitter because the other team will see our formation. So, uh, <laughs> and okay. the change. Yeah, yeah. So, so a couple more things there, Kartik. So, not mentioned in the in the article um, is some inside information I got, which was uh, that Major League Soccer has changed policies when dealing with the media, as far as the broadcast media. Um, they now now have regular meetings between the broadcasters and Major League Soccer, uh, which is a, a great step, a great move. Um, I believe it's weekly, so that's something they they weren't doing before, but they're doing now. Uh, that should help uh, in terms of communication. Um, plus, they're having weekly uh, announcer slash player slash head coach uh, sit down discussions where, you know, Lalas and John Strong can sit down with Bruce Arena and talk about LA Galaxy, as well as interviewing, well, not interviewing, but talking behind the scenes with one of the players and, and getting that. So that's something that they didn't have before. And whether it's Fox, ESPN, or Univision, those are good moves. But but overall, though, Kartik, I, I just think that the way that this is positioned that these 
changes that they're making are going to improve TV ratings is really not addressing the issue. And there's lots of issues, whether it's schedules, uh, whether it's the playoff structure, whether it's uh, these games which are effectively meaningless. Uh, There's a long laundry list of different things that we can talk about, that we've talked about on on other shows. Um, But it's interesting, too. I mean, one of the quotes from... Uh, Dan Cordemange, who's the uh, MLS PR person, and he says in the article, we want to make sure we're providing tremendous access to broadcast partners and our internal constituents so that we can engage our current fans more frequently and ultimately appeal to the broader soccer audience in North America as well as around the world. So so the first part of it, I completely agree with in terms of uh, providing more access to broadcast partners. But I don't think all these things added up are going to uh, mean it's going to appeal to the broader soccer audience. I don't think that soccer fans are not tuning in to Major League Soccer games because of because they're missing these things. Uh, it's many, many other reasons. And it just definitely just does not focus on uh, the core issues of why MLS TV ratings are not increasing. Um, any, any other thoughts, Kartik? No, I, I, again, I would uh, stress to Major League Soccer, I know why they're doing this. I understand the, the, the rejection they felt from uh, mainstream sporting audiences, people who mock MLS, uh, the, uh, the anti-soccer tendencies of so many in, in the media. I know being in New York is a little intoxicating around other sports leagues and other media personalities who – who talk about baseball endlessly, uh, but but don't give shock, soccer a fair shake. I, I completely understand that. Um, but that is not your base. Those people aren't going to be won over until we secure uh, a, a base for club soccer in this country that people then outside the sport realize, hey, this is a big, big deal. Now, folks in Orlando feel that way. Folks in Portland feel that way. But really, the, the, the Madison Avenue types, the um, – the people in the mainstream press in New York, they don't feel that way. And they're not going to feel that way because you have NYCFC and you're throwing them some carrots. Mm-hmm. Um, secure your base, work on work, winning over core soccer fans, work on winning over those people who are watching Liga MX and the Premier League and La Liga and not watching Major League Soccer. Work on winning over those people who are watching USL and NASL and NWSL and not watching Major League Soccer and go from there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And spending 18 months to figure out some things that are going to help broadcasters but are not going to help increase TV ratings, to me, doesn't make a lot of sense. Uh, so, Kartik, uh, where can listeners uh, find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at KKFLA737 or um, on Facebook. You can friend me, send, send me a friend request on Facebook at Kartik Krishnayer. You can find me. On the, on the net at World Soccer Talk, uh, uh, Yanks are coming, and also my own website, thefloridasqueeze.com. And uh, listeners, if you do have any questions or any feedback or disagreements about anything we've said, let us know through uh, web at worldsoccertalk.com, uh, through email, or through Twitter at WSoccerTalk, or through Facebook at facebook.com slash worldsoccertalk. So thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday or Friday. Uh, every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, Audioboom, and worldsoccertalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review. Kartik, over to you. Enjoy your football.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.